Well, if you look at the world around you, what do you see? It doesn't take long, and you don't have to look very far. You can open up the morning newspaper, you can look at your morning Twitter feed, you basically see the same thing in one way or another. What most of us see is pain. Pain is constantly around us in the world. Everybody gathered here this morning, at some point in your life, you've experienced pain. Pain is universal. Everyone has it. Now, we all have it for different reasons. For some of us, we have pain because of persecution. For others, it's illness. For others, it's unjust activity in our world. But everybody has experienced pain. And Jesus told us that we would experience pain. Jesus told us that there was going to be challenges. And pain may be the ultimate challenge. Pain is a real challenge in our lives. Most of us don't handle pain very well, and pain causes us to do different things. And oftentimes, pain can be the very source of moving away from God. You see it time and time again. Suffering and hardship comes, leads to disappointment, leads to misunderstanding, ultimately leads, leads to separation from God because you've lost faith. You've lost the ability to trust for whatever reason. Pain can be really challenging. And in the midst of pain, all of us are looking for comfort. We're looking for something to give us a sense of stillness, something that can calm the nerves or the anxiety. And oftentimes in the midst of pain, we try to say things to one another to help lower the pain levels. And two things that we often say to one another to try and lower the pain, I want to challenge us on this morning. And this is going to sound odd, and this is going to get me in trouble with some friends. But two phrases that we use to try and give us peace in the midst of pain, I want to encourage us to look in the Word this morning and see that maybe these aren't the overarching reasons. The first one we often use in the midst of pain is this. God is in control. I hear this all the time. We say it to one another in the midst of a difficult situation. Don't worry, God is in control. Now, am I saying that's false? I'm not saying that's false. However, say God is in control to the mother who's just lost a child. Well, that's an interesting form of control that you're exhibiting, God. Say God is in control to the family that just had to send a loved one over to South Korea and stand on the line ready for war. That's an interesting God who's in control that would allow a crazy to run around with weapons. You see how saying God is in control could lead our mind into all sorts of different places? I want to challenge you this morning is when you're looking for comfort, you're looking for peace. Are you, are you finding peace in trying to believe something? This morning we're going to look at two other things that maybe should give us peace instead. The second phrase that we use, and it's very similar to the phrase, first phrase, is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. Again, put yourself on the receiving end of someone who's just had to bury their spouse. Wow, great plan, God. God's plan was for this person not to make it and to leave before we finish everything. Am I saying that God doesn't have a plan? 
No, I'm not saying that. But is it God's plan for a young father with an eight-month-old child who just was converted from the Islamic faith and was making a difference all around the world, was it God's plan for that young man to be taken away from this earth because of cancer just in the last week? Tell that to the eight-month-old baby when that eight-month-old baby is a teenager and wondering why there's no dad at home. How do you think he's going to respond to God has a plan? Evil and suffering is real. We know it. We've experienced it on different levels. And this morning we're going to see from God's word that he says to us, though, you can still have peace in the midst of it. Why can we still have peace in the midst of it? So evil is a reality. And as we think about evil this morning, we're not going to dig into the, the reasoning behind evil. We're not going to have an academic discussion of how evil got started or why suffering exists. We're going to just deal with reality. And the reality is this. Suffering and evil exists. And if you want to know why it exists, it exists because we live in a broken world. That everything in this world is broken because of sin. Which ultimately leads back to God at some point. So it does get to a difficult conversation of it all evil ultimately flows from God in, in some way. But again, we don't have answers to that. God hasn't revealed answers to that. We just simply have the reality that evil exists. So Jesus said there would be pain. We see that in John 16. He says to his disciples, basically one of his last teachings, he says to them, Hey, you're going to have tribulation. Well, that's an encouraging word for the final teaching from your teacher. It's going to get rough. You're going to be scattered to your homes. There's going to be a lot of pain. Yet in the midst of that, Jesus says to them, in the midst of the tribulation, I give you peace. He said this in another way, too. In John chapter 14, just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus said the following to his disciples. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Very similar language. It was actually probably in the same sermon that Jesus was giving both of these statements. Telling his followers what? I'm giving you peace. And notice what peace Jesus is giving to them. My peace. This is critical to understand. Because Jesus is not giving them an experience. It's not a matter of having a certain experience and then you have peace. Peace is not an experience from the scripture, but peace is a gift from God. It's God's peace that he gives to us. Well, what is this peace? The word peace comes all the way back in the Old Testament. Maybe you've heard the word shalom. The, the Jews use this a lot in greetings. Shalom, it means peace to you. We see this all over the world used in different ways. The word shalom means peace, which meant wholeness. Or, or literally it meant everything weaved together and working. And so when they were greeting one another, they would basically say to one another, I hope everything is working well in your household. So shalom was more than, I hope there's nothing bad happening. It was more than that. It was, I hope everything is working well. That it's all weaved together in perfection. That's kind of the root of peace. And then when the word that Jesus uses for peace can be defined as this. Peace is a quiet goodness in our being. Peace is not just quiet, but it's 
a positive aspect too. There's goodness there. There's an inclination that things are well within me. And so Jesus is promising his followers that in their heart, their soul, their mind, their spirit, whatever language you want to use, their whole being, there would be this quiet goodness in their life. And this promise of peace did not come and say there would be the absence of pain. They actually come at the exact same time, Jesus says. You will have tribulation. Simply put, there's going to be pain. But he says at the exact same time, I'm going to give you a quiet goodness in your being. Well, how can you and I have peace in the midst of pain? I want to give you two reasons this morning from God's word of why you can have peace in the midst of pain. The first reason that you can have peace in the midst of pain is this. We can have peace through the presence of God. We can have peace through the presence of God. And where we see this at in God's word is first in John chapter 14. So in John 14, where we were looking at before here, it says in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So right before Jesus gives the promise of peace, he's talking about what? Giving his Holy Spirit, which in other words is giving the presence of God. So this is the whole focus, that the peace of God comes from what? The presence of God. The reason that Jesus was able to say, hey, you're going to have a quiet goodness is because Jesus was giving a gift. Now, now catch this. This is critical. What's the gift that Jesus was giving? God. <laughs> God. Yeah, that's right. Because the helper, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. The presence of God is what gives us peace in the midst of pain. Now we're going to turn to one of the favorite Bible passages of all time, Psalm 23. Many people have this memorized. I bet you 90% of you are going to hear this right before you die in some fashion. Well, let's think about it before we get to that point. So in Psalm 23, verse 4, it's what it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why is it that the psalmist, King David, is able to say, in the midst of evil, I'm going to have comfort. I'm going to be good. I'm going to have peace. Why? The four there gives it away. For you are with me. The presence of God. There, there's no promise here. Look at this, this. There's no promise of this grandiose plan that all, that all is going to go well and great from neither Jesus nor the psalmist. There's just one simple declaration. The presence of God is what gives us peace. But many of us are not focused on the presence of God with a C. Most of us are focused on the presence of God with a T. And so then what happens is this. When we don't get the presence, we don't believe in the presence. But God's promise here is not blessings of stuff, but rather it's the blessing of himself. This last Friday uh, afternoon, we were a person that normally picks up our kids from school, was unable to pick up from school, and so I had to step in. And uh, first time there, so I'm kind of wandering around the, park, wandering around the playground, thinking, oh, they just come out the door? Or what do you, how do you run this chaotic situation here? So 
I'm just kind of wandering around talking to the other fathers that seemed like they didn't know what they were doing either. And uh, next thing you know there, next thing you know, all of a sudden, boom, daddy, daddy, running over and grabs me next to me. She's right there, ready to go. And she was thrilled and excited. Most people don't get this excited when I'm around. I, I rarely have a person call me and say, hey, I just want to hang out with you. You're cool. But let me tell you, the excitement, she was thrilled. She was expecting someone else, but I showed up, and I'm a big deal. Do you know what gave her so much happiness in that moment? Was me being there. Now, I had a plan. It's 2.45 when you pick up. My afternoon break time is at 3 o'clock. So I'm not going to skip afternoon break just because I'm picking up my daughter. She can go with me to the gas station for some Fifth Avenue bar and Mountain Dew. Little did she know that the benefit of being picked up by me is what? Amazing snacks in the afternoon. She wasn't excited about the snacks until she was with me. The same, how much more? How much more for us with our Heavenly Father? Should we be excited and thrilled in the presence of God that we get to be with the creator of the universe? Who cares if there's an afternoon snack? God, the greatest of all beings, is present with us. We can have peace in the midst of pain when we recognize and practice the presence of God. The second reason that we can have peace in the midst of pain is because of our promised inheritance. Folks, this morning, I, I want to, this gets me so excited. I get really passionate about this. We have so forgotten the end game. We have so forgotten what is truly the golden years. Your golden years are not 60 through 90 or however long the Lord gives you. Not at all. The golden years are the resurrection. Life with a brand new body in an everlasting kingdom. In 1 Peter, and so let's go back to Psalm 23. Sorry, I told you I got excited about this. Psalm 23 first, again. How does the most famous Bible passage of all time probably finish? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's the whole focus? The end game is what? Being with God forever. This is it. This is why the psalmist is excited. There's no surely in goodness, well, mercy will follow me, and I'm going to have a kingdom here, and my palace will last forever. No, 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 no. It's being with God forever. This is amazing. This is the promise. Now we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Right in the middle of these verses about talking about suffering, he just goes on a little sermon, and he says the following. God, he, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, look at this. You can't get excited enough about this. Everybody gets excited about an inheritance, right? And then we fight about the inheritance. And think about it for a moment. We get excited and fight about that which lasts, what? Maybe 20 or 30 years at most. 
what should cause us to rejoice is what? In this rejoice is what? An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I love owning a house so we can have people over. But other than that, I hate owning a house. I would give up our house tomorrow for maintenance-free living in a great place. And I've tried to convince my wife of this, so help me after the service. Anyhow, side note. Here's why. Have you ever noticed what happens with a house? Everything breaks. I don't care how much you spend, at some point, what? It's all got to be replaced. It's all got to be fixed. It's all got to be maintained. You can buy the nicest car or the nicest home, but I can tell you right now where it's going. To the rubble pile. It guaranteed. Guess what? Guess what? Our inheritance, it doesn't fade, it doesn't rust, it's imperishable, it can't change. This is our promise that you and I have brand new resurrected bodies for eternity. I mean, I'm not even sure why I'd want to give up this piece of magnificence right here. But guess what? You think this is good. Just wait. There's going to be no sickness or illness. And here's the best part of it all. The best part of all of it is right here. Nothing that happens here on earth can affect that inheritance. Nothing. Bombs, cancer, illness, persecution, injustice, nothing can affect my inheritance. Not a single thing. Why? It's sealed in the presence of God, or said there, sealed in heaven. This is it. This is amazing. Why is it then that people can go to the mission field and say, you know what? I know what's waiting for me on the other end. And this happens literally every day. I know what's happening, waiting for me, a machete. I know what's waiting for me, an M16. I mean, why would a person willingly walk into that? Because they know that they can't touch their inheritance. That anything that happens to them, the worst of the worst, it doesn't even come in comparison to the glorious inheritance that we have in the presence of God. Get excited about this. We should be fired up about this. This is why in a couple of weeks we're doing a special one Sunday on just heaven. Just going to talk about heaven one Sunday in October. It's going to be a great Sunday to invite people because everybody thinks about heaven. We've got to spend more time talking about this as Christians. We get to the end of our lives. You know what should be happening? We should be having celebrations in the hospice room because it's birth to an everlasting inheritance in the presence of God. We can have peace in the midst of pain because of the promised inheritance we have that's kept in heaven for us, the resurrected body in the presence of Jesus Christ. This morning... The promise for peace does not come because there's a master plan of greatness. The promise of peace comes because the presence of God will always be here and nothing can touch our promised inheritance. So now that you know this, and now that you're all, okay, I'll just give you all an A for a day. You know this, you have this knowledge, right? You know these two things of why we can have peace. The presence of God and the promised inheritance. Say it with me. Presence of God Promised inheritance. Okay, you're good to go. You got an A on the knowledge. Now, 
We need to get an A on the action. We can know it, but what does that mean for us today? What's the practical application today? Each week, we're going to have PAT, practical application today. These three things, if we do, we can pursue peace. The first is this, surround ourselves with people. Now, follow along with me here. Remember our knowledge, the presence of God gives us peace. How do we experience the presence of God? Through the people of God. This has been completely lost because church has become optional. And I'm not saying any of this stuff to promote church because I need to get paid and we need to fill the building. That's not the point at all. The point is this, because this is how it happens. Saying saying to your dentist, I've got great teeth. I hate flossing and never do it. Right? Your dentist would look at you and say, you're a fool. It doesn't happen. I know, I've got experience in that department. Saying, I'm going to experience the presence of God without the people of God is pure foolishness. We need to be surrounded with people. And too often, most of us wait until the bad stuff happens, and then we wonder, why didn't anyone show up? I wasn't in deep enough relationship to begin with. You don't know when the pain's going to come, so you've got to be in the relationship now. And guess what? It's also not about you. You might not be in pain right now, but guess what? Someone else might be in pain who you should be in relationship with. You might say to yourself, well, I don't really need people. Well, guess what? People need you. So the very first thing you can do, practical application, I mean, again, talk about self-promotion here, but join a community group. We don't have community groups. We don't have progressive dinner parties because we're like, oh, we've got to find something to do. We've got to keep people busy. That's not the point at all. We do it so we can have relationship. And Sunday morning is not enough, talking about the weather and how bad the Nebraska Cornhuskers are. It's not going to work. You know what we have to do is we have to step out and engage in relationship. Join a community group. It's not a pastor mandate. It's a biblical mandate. Whether you're at another church and they call it small groups or gatherings, I don't care what they call it. Be with people. Now we got to be with people. So the number one, surround ourselves with people. Second thing we need to do is elevate our mindset to be continually aware of God's presence. Most of us, even myself, we take the presence of God for granted. We don't even think about it. And remember that everywhere we go, we've got the spirit of the living God, God himself, with us. And so very specifically, here's what I want all of us to do this next week, is use the following as our prayer. God, thank you for being with me as I... So tomorrow morning, right before you go to work, just say, God, thank you for being with me as I go to Frankman's Food Mart. I don't know, wherever you work. As you're praying with your children before they leave, just say, God, thank you for being with me as I go into whatever school. God, thank you for being with me as I enter into this lunch conversation. Just use it as a reminder. A, thank God. That's a good thing. But in the process of thanking God, what are we doing? We're becoming more aware that he's with us. And whether you pray this or not, he's present. But most of us don't function as though he's present. So this next week, let's just get in the habit of acknowledging and recognizing the presence of God wherever we go. And then finally, 
we need to saturate ourselves in the promised inheritance. What I mean by that is this, is live with the end in mind. If you talk to any leadership consultant, anyone that comes in and helps you set up a strategic plan, almost the first question they're always going to ask is this. Tell me what you think this should look like in five years. What, what's, what's the end goal? What's, what's the dream of what you want? If you're meeting with a builder to talk about a new house, you don't start talking about what kind of lumber you want to use in the walls. What do you do? You sit down and you say, this is what we want. This is what we want to have as an end result of this. We want to have a dining room. We want to have this in the, the kind of backyard. And then what happens? You work backwards from there and fill in the detail. We need to be so saturated with the end goal. So here, the specific steps this next week is this. Memorize eternity verses. If you're looking for something to memorize, just write down 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is awesome. It just talks about how when Jesus returns, we're going to be transformed literally and receive our resurrected bodies. Put that in your mind. Instead of memorizing the box score tomorrow morning, memorize 1 Corinthians 15. Instead of singing along with Garth Brooks, memorize 1 Corinthians 15. Both are fine, but 1 Corinthians 15 is going to be here for eternity. Put it in your mind and in your heart. Memorize eternity verses. These three practical steps are all things that you and I can do today. And guess what? They're not just going to benefit us. They're going to benefit the people around us. Because when you and I are aware of the presence of God, we're going to be practicing the presence of God with the people we're with. When you and I have eternity verses memorized in our hearts, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be able to talk about them naturally to our friends, to our enemies, to our co-workers. It's going to flow out. It's not going to be wooded religion. These three practical steps benefit them, and they benefit us. All of these steps are all about doing something today that's going to affect tomorrow. I love productivity. I love reading books about how to become more productive and more efficient. And uh, one of the most productive people in America is the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook. He says the following, the most productive people get ready to, for tomorrow before they leave the office today. They know what's coming. They're, they're prepared. Guess what? We need to be prepared for pain tomorrow. Chuck Swindoll says it best. You're either in the midst of it, you're coming out of it, or you're about to go back into it when it comes to pain. Are you prepared for pain tomorrow? If you're prepared for pain tomorrow. You can be the presence of peace. And you can also then extend that peace to others. So, it's not a matter of looking at your calendar for tomorrow, like Tim Cook and getting the email inbox to zero. It's a matter of taking intentional steps, surrounding yourself with people, memorizing eternity versus and practicing the presence of God. So how about you today? Will you take steps today that ensure tomorrow you will have stillness in a fidgety world? Will you take steps today 
to ensure that tomorrow you will have stillness in a fidgety world. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, come before you this morning with thankful hearts that you are here with us. God, thank you for being with us as we worship. God, we come before you this morning and we're thankful for the inheritance that you've given us. So God, we pray now that you give us the discipline needed to live out these action steps. And Lord, this morning, we pray specifically for those who are in the midst of pain right now. That God, you would do a miraculous work of making them aware of your presence through the love of others. We pray also that those who are in the midst of pain would be captured with the everlasting hope of Jesus Christ. So God, we thank you for your peace that you give to us, and we ask now that you make us agents of that peace. In Jesus' name, amen.